We drive to the address, our lights and sirens scattering the lunch crowd. It's a ground floor apartment and we walk in to see a toothless man doing CPR on his friend. It was heroin, he tells us, panting as he pumps. We connect the defibrillator and find the patient in a systole where the heart has lost all electrical activity. Not many will come back from that. We take over recess and the patient's mate goes to sit on the lounge. He leans over a coffee table and starts eating a meat pie with a knife and fork. Came home and found him, he says with his mouthful. The man continues eating while we try to revive his friend. He stops only once to loudly squirt ketchup onto his plate. Shit, he says. Why does it always shoot out like that? Tomato fucking sauce. He starts eating again, loud enough to hear above the siren of our approaching backup ambulance. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I'm Max Lewis, and today we're joined by author and filmmaker Benjamin Gilmore, whose new book, The Gap, An Australian Paramedic Summer on the Edge, takes a confronting look at what happens before and after you dial triple zero. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. Thanks, Max. So before we delve into the book, aside from working as a paramedic for over 20 years, you've also written books and directed films. How did you choose to become a paramedic in the first place? Well, I mean, I've, I've reflected on this uh, during the writing of this book. I really wanted to um, go back there and uh, explore those early uh, influences. And the only things I can really pinpoint are um, the ambulances that used to come past my parents' house. We lived quite close to the ambulance station in Lane Cove. And hmm. as the ambulances kind of headed towards um, Chatswood up there, you know, we, they used to scream past our house. And I used to rush to the window, I think, like any kid um, would do. But I think that the real, the moment when I thought I would really want to do this job, this, this, this could be good fun and, and interesting, was on a night out when uh, my friends and I, probably one of the first times we went into the city, um, we may have been 16 years old, um, there were three of us, I think we might have gone to the movies or something at, um, at Hoyts out there in, at, at Town Hall. Yeah. And we were on our way home and we're on platform four, um, the North Shore line and got down there and found at the end of the platform these two um, individuals who were lying unconscious on the platform. And I didn't realise at the time, but they'd overdosed on heroin. And um, and uh, someone had called triple zero and we were kind of just bystanders and watched these two paramedics in their you know, tight blue shirts rock up and... Uh, and inject these uh, heroin uh, patients who had, who had overdosed on heroin with, with Narcan, with naloxone, which is the, the antidote to, to heroin. And it yeah. works very, very quickly. And, um, and within, within 30 seconds, in under a minute, um, each of the, these uh, overdose victims who had gone from, from not breathing, from being blue, you know, uh, and, and uh, on the brink of death, um, stand up and, you know, start breathing and then stand up and as they stood up, you know, one of the paramedics kind of grabbed them by the scruff of the shirt and kind of, uh, you know, gave them a, a good shake and said, you know, if you ever do this again, you know, uh, and basically threatened them um, to, to sort their lives out, which yeah. I thought was a bit, a bit extreme. But it was very, very rock and roll. I thought at least these two paramedics coming in and, and reviving 
uh, this pair of um, overdose victims was was so impressive and it was just so cool. I just thought they were the bee's knees and I wanted to be that. I wanted to be one of them. Um, so that was kind of stuck in my mind. And then when I left school, I, I, I used my savings to fly to India, work with, as a volunteer for Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And um, when I came back, I applied for the ambulance service and I, I was accepted at the age of 19. Which was which made me the youngest in the state uh, paramedic at the time or ambulance wow, officer. Wow, impressive. Yeah, it was good fun. I think it, it helped having Mother Teresa on the resume, put it that way. But that was the beginning of of that journey. And so you mentioned in the book um, that you're always kind of jotting down notes of all your call outs in your little black book. Were you even back then planning to write about your experiences? I think it was in my mind too. I was writing a lot of uh, a lot of poetry back then in my late teens and early twenties, um, and I was reading a lot of poetry, Federico Garcia Lorca, and you know um, a lot of European poets and um, American poets. Um, and yeah. uh, I was writing a lot and, and submitting to literary journals, you know, Quadrant and Island Magazine and going down swinging and, and, and having that poetry published. And my first book was, was in fact, a, a collection of poetry uh, through an independent publisher in Newcastle called um, The Song of 100 Miles. And, um, but I did, I did take a few notes. I don't really, I can't really find those notebooks from back then, but I really only kind of, it became a habit um, of mine in earnest probably halfway through my career, probably when I hit 30, then I yeah. thought, gee, you know, I could really do something with this material. It's just you're constantly arriving into these crisis moments in people's lives, that are, you know, a one-off moment in their lives a lot of times at the, at the kind of, um, you know, extreme uh, climax. And you're doing that, you know, several times a day, a shift. And, and so you're thrown into these stories and um, you see how people live and how they treat each other and, and, and the, 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 the terrible and wonderful and bizarre situations they get themselves into. And it is, it's incredible for a, for a storyteller, for someone who's interested in humans and how they tick. It's, it's the, a great job for that. Um, and so I, I have got into the habit of, of jotting down um, events, notes, even dialogue. I mean, there's dialogue in the gap mm. where I have literally taken it word for word from my diaries. And in terms of the writing style, the book really, really hammers in that breakneck pace of moving from call out to call out without a moment's rest. Well, you know, I didn't want the book to be uh, dull, uh, but in terms of the um, pace of it, that is the way I remember my time working out of Bondi Ambulance Station for uh, more than a decade, and uh, particularly the summer that this book is set in over mm. um, was was that had that level of intensity. It was the pre-lockout laws. It was um, you know the the, the 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 mental health cases. The suicide rate had, was was peaking and that and over Christmas, and it was full on. And I remember that period of time. You'd be you'd be in the city. You'd be down in, you know in Bayswater Road somewhere back Killot Street back at the cross. Um, you'd be treating some a, a person in you know, overdose to alcohol, and they'd be you know the control would be calling your portable radio, asking you to clear because there was a backlog of triple O calls. You know sometimes there was a dozen or more triple O calls waiting, and so you'd be really encouraged to turn around very very quickly these jobs. You know wake people up, either get them to 
hospital or send them on their way or put them in a cab or whatever you had to do and then and then get on to the next make yourself available for the next one you know you had people that were you know very seriously injured sometimes that, that were waiting um, in the queue for ambulances so it was really a very intense time and um, so I do remember I do recall that period being as intense as it's described in the book you know and so with the process of writing The Gap, what was it like revisiting this time? Because it was quite harrowing reading everything that you were going through. And I imagine it would have been um, pretty painful revisiting this time. It, it was hard. So the first draft of the book was written um, about six months after the events of the book. Uh, and to give uh, listeners a, an idea of it, this The Gap is not only a uh, collection of, of vignettes of the weird and wonderful, um, bizarre jobs that we do as, as paramedics, or I did, was involved in in the city at that time. But uh, it does have a story arc through it. It has a, a, a through line of this very intense story um, with a beginning, middle, and an end, and um, that holds all this together. And um, and so you know, and that was a fairly traumatic um, moment in my career and and time in my. Career career and it was for many of my colleagues working in the eastern suburbs at that time mm. um and so yes it was very hard initially it might have been therapeutic for me six months after the events to write about them but when i went in, back into edit so i had it in the bottom drawer for a long time thinking you know it was too full-on it was too crazy and too sensitive material to ever release it was one of those bottom drawer kind of books manuscripts and then a few of my colleagues said no you must put it out there um, and last year, I was encouraged by a few people to to send it to to Penguin, uh, um, and and they kind of uh, rang me once they'd read it and said we want to do this straight away. And uh, and so that was kind of a bit nerve wracking for me to 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 to, to uh, kind of come to terms with this book finally um, coming out. But the editing period was was really tough, and that was going back into that time and kind of reliving it. Uh, through the words and 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 getting the the manuscript into um, getting it right uh, for publication and that was yeah that was a little bit harder um, I, I, it was um, but but you know well well worth it and um, you know I think a lot of people who share their personal stories about a very um, difficult moments in their lives um, it's a sacrifice worth making and, mm. and um, you know in order to share that story and, and, and potentially help other people who are going through um, similar kind of experiences. And so you mentioned um, having a couple of your old colleagues say that you should publish the book. Did you kind of edit and workshop the drafts of the book with some of your old partners? Well, I did it uh, uh, on my own. I did call a few of them to clarif- to, to get some uh, you know, confirmation of certain facts. Um, but of course, everyone remembers things slightly differently so but but you know that was that was really helpful um the people closest to this story uh, i did send them a a manuscript to read before it came out and i made a few changes based on their feedbacks um and you know it is it is difficult releasing something like this for for, for several reasons um and not all of them I can I can reveal, obviously, because what we're yeah. we're keeping this the twist. There is a twist in this story. There's a there's a, a, a very intense twist towards the end of this book that that will remain a secret. <laughs> um, but and, you know until people read it. But but I but you know people needed to. Uh, there was probably a dozen people I wanted to 
uh, have read the book um, and that I, I would re- was really hoping that they would feel comfortable with it because yeah. um, of the personal nature of it, you know. And it is hard also releasing something like this um, as someone who's still employed by the ambulance service, essentially. Um, so I've had to tread very carefully uh, because the book is full of gallows humour. It doesn't take uh, – it, 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 you know, it's full of unorthodox um, behaviours and uh you know it's it's quite out there with its with its humor and it's certainly um it does dance on that line of what some people yet yeah, would, would feel comfortable reading i'm sure you know most people have connected very well with it and they've responded to it very well but there was always that risk when you when you do share some of the conversations that we historically have in private um you know that that it won't go down as 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 well uh, with everybody and i think it's just um a risk that uh, that that i had to take with it and so far the response has been amazing um but i've had you know almost no negative response uh, from it and and if anything i get emails and messages from people um almost every day um thanking me for, for 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 sharing this story in particular, I think the most one of the most confronting parts about the book for me was the amount of uh, call-outs for trivial reasons that you get, such as there was that scene with the woman who wanted you to go to the grocery store for her or something like that. Is the rate of call-outs like that, does it happen as often as the book makes it out? Um, look, it still does. I mean, we, we are often called to people who, you know, it might be cold at night and need a blanket or, you know, as one story goes in the book, you know, they've got a sore throat and, yeah. they, you know, they, we end up unwrapping a, a lozenge for them and, and popping it in their mouth or, or you know, um, the, the problem is, of course, that um, there's only so much that uh, so, only so much that you can derive um, over the phone. So when people call triple zero. Um, they're not always great communicators and whatever yeah. there's a risk that, you know, they're not describing their 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 signs and symptoms um, that well, um, you know, the, 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 I think the, the position um, that the ambulance service takes, and I don't really usually comment on policy stuff, but is is uh, to err on the side of caution. So, yeah, uh, you know, um, because people have fallen through the cracks in the past. So, you know, we do we do got a lot of calls that we really shouldn't be at, and it is a, it is a burden on the on the on the service and and being able to respond to the more serious things when you're tied up at the more minor things at the same time those banal kind of bizarre non-emergencies can be so strange sometimes that um you know they they do they are peppered through this book because of how you know bizarre they are and yeah they're a bit of a palate cleanser they certainly are so you know you don't want the you know intense kind of cardiac arrest in the car accidents all the time you you get to the point in this job where you're quite happy to go to the lady who has got you know a dead a dead leg because a labrador slept on it you know you're quite happy to go to these kind of jobs that do give you a giggle afterwards um because it lightens the day and it kind of it does get you through the day you know and if you you know i think for a lot of younger paramedics who are frustrated by that banality i often tell them you know just embrace it because this is your break this is you getting mm. a breather between th- those big I- intense jobs that can uh, potentially you know wear you down and on the other side of the spectrum the book has a lot of alcohol related call outs and stuff like that and as you said it takes place pre-lockout laws um did you notice any change after the lockout laws absolutely it was huge and to give a bit of context um i 
I've got many interests in my life, apart from ambulance paramedic work, and one of them has been running club nights and DJing and, um, and you know, I was involved, as I mentioned of, as was my partner, Caspia, in one of Australia's biggest burlesque companies that, that mm. was touring at the time. And so... You know, it was important to me that people, young people, uh, people of any age, uh, have uh, events and places to go at night and and um, can can go out and um, and go to parties and and party on into the night. Um, I'm a big supporter of that. I'm I, I love that. And uh, so I was a bit conflicted because on the paramedic side of things, yes, you know, we saw a huge drop. Um, I can't really name the percentage. I think it's you know would have been more than eighty percent in in mm. ambulance calls to. Um, drug alcohol-related um, issues around that Kings Cross Darlinghurst area, um, but um, you know, I the issue I have with it is that it was a blanket kind of rule. It wasn't kind of targeted uh, enough. It wasn't kind of nuanced enough. It, uh, and 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 you know, small bars suffered, and venues that weren't um, weren't the problem and were not encouraging uh, binge drinking were yeah. punished. Um, in the same stroke, and that's an issue that I had. But um, absolutely, we saw a, a, a big decline there. I would love to see those lockout laws um, dialed back a bit. Uh, I think that's happening now, which is encouraging to see. But a return to the way they were before um, and the way the cross was um, before, uh, I would, I would, you know, I would hate to see that. It was, it was yeah. really, really ugly. And um, you know, I, you'd go through. Friday, Saturday nights, and you'd be, you know, constantly mopping vomit out of the back of the ambulance, and you know, you're dealing with, you know, people lying in the gutter, you know, covered in their own spew. It's terrible, you know. It was not, it wasn't pretty. And so the main theme, I guess, of the gap is the toll that working as a paramedic takes on your mental health and the lack of support and seeking help for that. In the decade plus since the events of the book, have you has there been much change in the culture surrounding the mental health of emergency workers or the support that is provided to them? There has been, and we're very grateful. And a lot of work's been done uh, in the last five years, in particular, on that. Um, we have wellness workshops now. We have um, you know chaplains, counsellors, peer support officers, and um, uh, significant event registers where you know if there's a particularly nasty case that it's documented and there's follow-up. So there's a lot more support for us. Uh, at the same time, you know, it's difficult because although the support's available, um, a, lot of, a lot of paramedics, I mean, certainly I, um, I have this issue. We, um, you know, I, I don't reach out uh, when I probably mm. should. And, um, and, and I think that's something in our culture in, in general, in Australia, particularly among men, we're not good at reaching out when when we're really struggling, um, and you know that's not something that can be enforced. It's not you know so you can have a whole this whole raft of services available and still uh, still be suffering in silence. Um, so um, you know there's still work to be done about um, kind of reducing that stigma. So although we're happy to um, help others who have uh, got mental health issues, uh, we're very reluctant still. And that's been backed up now with a study by Beyond Blue, who did a, a study on um, on how uh, emergency mm. workers are affected, and um, and you know found that you know we're, we're more than willing to accept that that uh, mental illness is a huge issue, and and we you know majority of our patients now, I mean probably uh, in the certainly in the inner city, you're looking at 
you know, more than 50% of cases. I mean, it's the second most common call after falls, uh, falls in the elderly. So we're happy, you know, willing to accept that these are legitimate health issues, but just not in ourselves um, a lot of the time. And I think there's still work needs to be done there. And just to plug your um, other book and your documentary, Paramedico, that looks at ambulance workers um, across the world in Pakistan, Mexico, Venice and Hawaii. I was wondering how the lives of paramedics in those countries compared to your own experience in Australia? Well, it's a great question because um, I was very blessed to have the opportunity to travel to more than 10 uh, countries and ride along or work or volunteer with paramedics and and other ambulance workers in these countries and see, you know, what it's like um, for for our colleagues in these places. Mm. And it made me so, you know, grateful for the uh, work conditions that, that I have back home here. Um, you know, in Pakistan, for example, um, ambulance workers will, will be on shift for a month straight, you know. Uh, they often don't get time to, to eat or drink. Uh, anything on on shift um they are really flogged uh and you know for, for you know 15 dollars a week so really low wage wow. yeah. uh, um you know or johannesburg you know where you're going to shootings and stabbings and violent crime um back when i worked there around the clock um and just there seems to be no relief from that um and then the risks the the dangers you know you know, I was working there with another paramedic and we both had to wear flak jackets, um, you know, bulletproof vests mm. just to go to these emergencies for risks of, our, uh, for, of being shot ourselves. So we don't have to deal with that. I mean, even the States, uh, having done work there, you never know when you go to a door uh, whether someone behind that door will have, uh, you know, a, a weapon, a loaded gun, which is something we don't have to, I don't have to really think, I don't think twice about here. You know, we have situational awareness here, but I don't really imagine that someone's going to, that is going to have a gun. So I'm, I'm very grateful for our work conditions here. And that, that book did did work very well, I think, because a lot of ambulance workers around the world read it, particularly in Western nations, and and it kind of gave them a bit of perspective. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of reformed whingers out there um, who'd read that book and were like, oh, actually, we don't have it so bad. And so your most recent film, uh, Joga, premiered at the Sydney Film Festival last year and is currently screaming in the United States. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the film? Again, Jerga is, uh, you know, it, it relates to this, this theme of, um, that, that I've addressed in The Gap. You know, it relates to, um, you know, mental health in, in men. And, uh, and it's the story of a soldier, a veteran, who is um, racked by guilt. He has a, a, has a kind of a moral injury from having been involved in a night raid in Afghanistan that went wrong. And um, instead of, like so many veterans, sadly, instead of you know taking his life, as so many veterans have done because of their um, PTSD and experiences um, uh, in, in, on the battlefield, um, he does a kind of unprecedented thing, a very radical thing, and buys a ticket back to Afghanistan to try and find the family of, of a civilian that he remembers uh, killing an unarmed civilian to apologise to the family. Um, it was a film, Joga, uh, that um, premiered at the Sydney Film Festival and screened at uh, Toronto and Palm Springs Film Festivals and it became the Australian entry to the Academy Awards Best Foreign Language Film this year. And now it's um, you know, out on streaming and iTunes and uh, various platforms in the US and it's on stand in Australia for those who are interested. 
Um, but um, yeah, it, it it kind of deals with these, these similar issues that are, that are very close to my heart because you know I've lost friends and um, we have a huge uh, issue in this country with um, depression and, and suicide amongst men, uh, and um, so you know it's all kind of related. Yeah, it's all intertwined. Intertwined, indeed. Well, Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Max, for having me. I appreciate it. The Gap is published by Penguin Random House and can be found at our website at goodreadingmagazine.com.au or any good bookshop. <laughs>